Many religions shame one of the most basic parts of being human, our sexuality. Unfortunately, mainstream religion plays an intricate role in how many mental health and medical professionals are educated. With this influence, many therapists and medical professionals echo their religious biases. As sex therapists who see things through a non-theistic, satanic lens, what follows on this podcast are the views of these two satanically sexy therapists, and not the views of any satanic organization. We are here to break the shame and educate about sex based on a belief system that values science over religious shame. Let's have a chat about love, sex, and Satan all together now. Hail Hail Satan. Satan! All right, welcome to Love, Sex, and Satan. I'm your host, Tim Baxter, and uh, with me is my awesome satanic co-host. Hey, y'all, this is Elle. I hope everybody is having a lovely day today, wherever you are listening to this. Now, Elle, I hear today you're actually not having that lovely of a day. A lot of uh, freezing rain and gross stuff there. It's... It's just a perpetual shade of gray outside my window between just the light, the freezing rain, the slush. It's just very blah out today. It's a very monochrome day outside. Right, right. Well, I I pretty much have the same view here, but others in other places may have completely different views. And since that's kind of what we're talking about is different views about Ooh. different principles uh, of sexual health. Let's kind of get into that. Um, so to, <laughs> I, I do want to talk about like I had some I had a reflection over uh, the last episode and I know you had a reflection about about some of that. So, so I'm going to get into that first. And uh, so my fir- my only reflection is and this is my biggest reflection in, in my life. Right. Is that. I know that my biggest reflection is that we're all human and we're going to make mistakes as times go on. And um, if I make a mistake on this podcast or Elle makes a mistake on this podcast, we are absolutely open to uh, have that brought to our attention because we appreciate the opportunity for growth. With that being said, I'm going to just add in this piece here, um, keeping the feedback respectful, right? I mean... People are bound to, to mess up. That's part of the learning process. Um, you know, if the feedback is constructive, great. Um, if it's attacking, well, that's a different story altogether, guys. So, you know, bear that in mind. And a little compassion for ourselves and one another. Absolutely. All right. Um, any any uh, reflections for you uh, over the last episode, Miss L? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, after listening to the last episode, I had a couple of takeaways. Um one, I'd have to say, damn y'all, I'm funny. I didn't realize how funny it was that I'm listening to me. And I was like, ah, ah, all right, all right, I get it, I get it now. Um, yeah, I'd have to say another thing that was a takeaway was yeah, it's really weird listening to yourself. Um but at the same time, I think I'd rather listen to myself for reflection versus watching videos of myself. I know it's like an old school um, strategy, learning certain techniques in therapy that they'll do like, you know, the observation either live or recorded. Um, no pressure. 
Um, oh, yeah, but for that. me, God, <laughs> no pressure. Um, but yeah, for me, like listening to myself seemed to be, you know, really beneficial. Um, you know, I kind of found it to be interesting, kind of like a live journal, which was cool because I'm not really good at writing in journals. Um, and that's something I'm usually pretty transparent about with, with my clients. Um, if they choose to want to write, that's cool. However, we can also get creative because I'm not about to tell people to do something that I'm not really great about doing myself. Um, also definitely want to reinforce that, you know, we're learning, it's all work in progress and we're bound to flub things during this process. And, uh, you know, I think the big piece is knowing to own it and growing from it. Um, but yeah, some, some big takeaways that I had from last time, um, is related to some of the word choices that I want to give more consideration to. Um, for example, um, comment I had made uh, referencing finding my inner pervert, right? I'm not making any insinuations on my professional boundaries, but rather want to acknowledge that I'm reconnecting to my own sense of sexual liberty. And this is something I've been working on and continue to work on. You know, professional boundaries are pretty clear and I definitely abide by all those lovely licensing laws and ethical demands of our roles. And I mean, a major ethical rule in counseling services is to not have sexy time with clients. Like I remember an ethics class I took back in the day. And on the first day, the instructor informed us straight up, first rule of professional ethics is don't fuck your clients. I thought that was pretty sound advice. Um, I mean, yeah. I think that's sound advice, but also I would say it was common sense, but you would probably wouldn't have that guideline if correct if if it hadn't happened there's a reason why they also have to say don't use a hairdryer in the bathtub and that curling irons are for external use only okay like <laughs> these warnings are out there for reasons my dude so, Absolutely. <laughs> all right now the other other comment that i reflected on that was like oh i can you touch on that one um was i made a comment about like a perfect body right referencing j-lo um Still no hate towards her. She's gorgeous. Uh, hard worker. Don't want to take that away from her. Definitely. But I'm also going to sit here and say I don't think that there truly is one body type that's an ideal standard. I mean, I want to acknowledge this for myself that, you know, certainly the statement about body types um, I was like, wow, you know, that definitely represents some of that internalized messaging about beauty. Um you know, beauty standards, how to look, how to be that I find uh, are frequently pushed on um, women, uh, people's vulvas, femi folks. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of pushing on my own experiences with others commenting on my respective image. Um, but yeah. Again, reinforcing, man, like all body types are valid and beautiful and amazing and all need to be celebrated. Um, you know, I know for myself, I just keep working on the embedded stuff and those blind spots. I mean, I have an awesome therapist. I've got, you know, really awesome friends and loved ones, family members, like, you know, so there's a gr good group of people, but I think certainly again, self-reflection and consideration for how we use our words, I thought was kind of important, at least for myself. So I think those were my takeaways. I think to, to kind of uh, piggyback onto that um, beauty is very much a perception issue, right? So yes, if you choose to perceive somebody as beautiful, then that's your perception. And mm -hmm. I think that we all should should look at ourselves. I, I would hope that we all look at ourselves and can and can perceive some of the some of the beauty about ourselves. 
And unfortunately, oftentimes that's that doesn't happen. So I think in those cases, then it, it does require a lot more inner work, right? And um, mm-hmm. and that that is okay to need to do inner work because honestly, I think most people should do some inner work. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what's uh, not to to sidetrack too much down this because I know that there's there's a fair amount of stuff that uh, we're going to be presenting today to kind of like set a framework for people listening. Um, but I was just thinking this one uh, one activity I remember talking about in a class. Um, I want to say it was through Shaw, uh, Sexual Health Alliance, and it was the airport game. And the game is that, go say you're traveling, you know, you're at the airport and while you're waiting, looking around and just observing the people who are also there at the airport and considering what other people would find attractive about them what makes them sexy to somebody else right and this isn't necessarily like i'm gonna actively you know be seeking out you know that person that looks like they you know are clean eating living at the gym and that's their job to look that way no like just anybody everybody like of age right like of consenting age i'm gonna throw that in there okay um yeah yeah, but yeah, yeah like looking looking at you know, that rando business guy sitting there reading his book, you know, who finds him sexy and, you know, that that rando individual walking down the hall, how long they and their partner been together? What what makes them so beautiful and unique to one another? And I think that that's a really cool thing to then take back to ourselves and consider that for ourselves. That's really that's a really, really good thing uh, or a really, really good um game i think that's a very interesting way of of enhancing your perceptions um one thing that i i wrote in a poem a long time ago was that for me and this is my belief right is that perfection is within imperfections i love that so when i see imperfection what others classify as imperfections on someone else what i see is their perfections very nice, man. That makes sense. It does. It and does. Again, I can get down with that. And again, it's all based on perception and views. So, speaking of views, yes, and perceptions. Um, so many of us Satanists do come from a Christian. A lot of us come from a Christian background, and so we have we have been uh, able to be, I guess, shamed for our love of sexuality or shame for many different things, and. And uh, then many people who are not uh, Christian also go through a lot of these uh, different shaming rituals and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so as sex therapists, what we value uh, as far as sex therapists are are the sexual health principles, which you will be discussing uh, in a a moment. Um, But I spent so much time in the church. I wanted to kind of go over some of uh, what the Bible actually says about sexual morality and honest. And honestly, some of it is not that moral, guys. So I just wanted to kind of break that out there. But I'm going to start with the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are are pretty huge. Um, yeah, underlies a lot. I will say the first four commandments or five commandments are really about God's ego, right? Um and yeah, but I do want to come down to number four, and I want to kind of press number four real quick, and that is, you shall make no 
Um, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, again, that shows full-on ego, right? And he and, and sta straight up says, look, I'm jealous. You're not going to, you're, you're not going to do this. And so where that fits in with our with, with sexual uh, health is is oftentimes people will get into that uh, will will look at God and say jealousy is is absolutely okay because God uh, condones it and part of the problem is is that while jealousy is a completely human emotion it's not always a beneficial emotion. And so when right. we talk about it in sex therapy, we also want to look at jealousy, but we also want to look at what compersion looks like. And compersion is a, is, is a whole thing of being able to be happy for someone for, for what they, uh, for what they achieve or what they get or, or things like that. And so it's, I, I wouldn't say it's the opposite of jealousy because I do believe that you can have jealousy and compersion at the same time. But it is something that is helpful. And so when we look at scriptures like this, we're thinking that jealousy is the only way whenever you're going um, about these kind of things. And that's not accurate. It's not something that's that that that's helpful or beneficial. And these are definitely things that we will that we do address in therapy with clients. I'm going to go back down. And now the next one I want to talk about is honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you, right? And, you know, if your father and mother are not abusive, not trauma-inducing, and honestly teaching you to be that independent individual person, I have no problem with honoring your father and your mother. However, that's not everyone's experience. And so when we look at this, as far as in my opinion, when I look at this, I look at this as you're commanding me to honor someone that may or may not be treating me with the same respect you want me to treat them with. And as a therapist, one of the things that I try to teach parents is that any behavior you want from your child, you need to be modeling that same behavior. Yeah. I mean, it's role modeling, you know, uh, self-respect. I mean, I think it certainly role models, you know, expectations around um, authority and yeah. definitely promotes, you know, uh, an expectation around a power exchange, you know, and sitting here thinking, gosh, what kind of, you know, what kind of format does that uh, set up for somebody? You know, what kind of uh, blueprint, you know, somebody walks off with if they're raised in that environment of you do not question the person who is in quote unquote control of you, you know? Which actually goes completely against uh, the idea of, of uh, human development, right? Like when you get to uh -huh. a certain age, questioning is part of your job. Like that's, that's part of what you have to do in order to learn things. Right. Self-discovery uh, and development. Exactly. The next one is you shall not commit adultery. And the problem, I'm perfectly okay with saying you should not cheat on your spouse. I what but but what you need to understand is that 
cheating and alternative relationships such as polyamory and and things like that are not the same and unfortunately right. uh in the in the mindset of of some people who look at these scriptures it is absolutely the same and so what we come across is somebody who is uh sitting and saying that people who are in committed consensual polyamorous relationships are committing adultery <clears throat> and that's just not accurate and it sets uh, people up to be shamed and it's not beneficial and it's not helpful. Agreed. Absolutely. And I, and, you know, thanks for bringing up, you know, certainly polyamory and definitely we have like that consensual non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy umbrella. And I mean, I think that we could probably get into that at another point, man, because there's, there's a lot of very, you know, variations under that umbrella, uh, so non-monogamish and hall passes swingers and yeah yeah then we got full-on polycules and yeah and it's all beautiful and so, uh yeah all influenced by how we're raised you know how people I, I are going to respond to it i want to i want to broach a little further right um so when i'm talking about sexuality and sex in general Consent is a number one for, for me, right? It's a number one period, right? And so if we're looking towards a ethical guideline uh, on how to behave, then that ethical guideline, in my opinion, should not condone uh, acts such as rape and should also mm -hmm. not condone um, thinking of each other as property. And so I want to kind of go into this uh, a little bit too. So in Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29, it says, if a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver to her father. Then he must marry the young woman because he violated her and he will never be allowed to divorce her. Now, that is, first off, he took away her cons consent and then mm -hmm. her her father's most likely taking away her consent by saying, no, you got to marry this guy. Oh, absolutely taking away that consent, right? You know, but uh, I mean, honor so, thy mother and father, huh? So I honestly question how uh, ethical this, this particular verse in the Bible is. I don't believe it to be so. But then we get around this whole thing that I've heard lots of Christians say when, when they say, well, a, a, uh, why, uh, when you're married, it can't be rape because you're supposed to give yourself to each other. And, and so one of the scriptures that I saw, uh, that I see for that it, it is really, really scary because to me, I own my body. You own your body. My wife owns her body. Your husband owns his body. Your uh, are the, the partners own their own bodies. It's your yeah. body. And we'll everybody we that. are respectively involved with right and, and and we'll get into that more whenever you start whenever you discuss like the tenants but that's definitely my belief on that well in corinthian first corinthians 7 4 says for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does and that's very problematic because when you start treating acting as if your partner's body is yours alone then then that's that's property and and we mm -hmm. don't do property and uh it takes and it, and it can also take away um absolutely takes away bodily autonomy and that's not something that uh that as a therapist i am okay with right not at all 
Now, if that wasn't enough, there's a whole list of stuff in Leviticus 18. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to read all of it, but I will tell you Leviticus 18, the first few uh, verses talks about not having sex with family members. In other words, talks about incest and, and how raunchy it is to commit incest. And I find it troubling that you would need a, uh, a, there's like 19, roughly nine, oh, hold on. Roughly 18 verses talking about not sleeping with your aunt, not sleeping with your mom, not sleeping with your dad, your sister, your brother, your cousins, your nieces, and nephews. And then Oof. it goes, then it starts talking about don't approach a woman to have relationship during her uncleanliness, her uncleanness of her monthly period. So during Shark Week, obviously, right? So, well, you know, let me just jump in here a hot second, you know, and there's still a lot of stigma about talking about menstruation, right? Because, you know, I think it is treated as like this dirty thing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, hearing you read that, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, talking around stuff. And I mean, I'll admit, you know, as somebody with a uterus who, who has blood, um, it, I mean, I would speak about it in euphemisms because that's what I was accustomed to, right? I wasn't going to be like, oh, hey, you know, blah, 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 babes, could, could somebody pick me up pads or tampons or whatever from, I'm menstruating, right? Like, I wasn't raised that way. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm having my week, um, Aunt Flo's coming in, shark week, right? And then skulking off to go buy the products at you know, the grocery store, Rite Aid, and mixing that in and hoping that, you know, nobody's going to judge me for menstruating, right? It's natural. Right. We do it. But here's a message that underlies a lot of mainstream Shame. perspectives Shame. that it's dirty. Yes, it's shameful. Yes. Right. How dare your body leak? How dare you bleed for seven days and not die? Like... I mean, and I, I will tell you, like, right now. as a as a male who is fairly new to my feminism, right? <laughs> like, I can't say I didn't ever use any of those terms. And I still use Shark Week, but that's more of an inside joke with me and my wife. Oh, sure. You know, so, I mean, so sometimes it's not meant as as derogatory. It's just, you know, because uh, she, she tells me I have my shark week too. So, you know, and, and which is very hormonal accurate. fluctuations do happen for men. It's not just yes. women, man, for sure. Absolutely. But I mean, just it, kind of an interesting thing here. And I mean, I'll disclose, um, I got sterilized, um, back in, uh, September, 2022 and tell you what, man, like even afterwards sharing with like certain family members. And there was this like, reaction that was uh it was really interesting right we have a group of people that like menstruating is shameful but once i exerted this like bodily autonomy right super liberating um and had this done there were people in like my family that were like incensed that you know what do you mean you're you're no longer able to menstruate and potentially have children and blah, 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 blah. i'm like yeah, I took uh, I took control over that and um, interesting feedback, you know, that the menstruating is dirty, but then how dare I go do something about that for myself? I mean, I will tell you, like, 
me personally, I've never had a problem with it. Like, my, but, but that like, like, as long as my partner was good with it, I didn't ever care <laughs> because honestly, like, I think the only difference would be that like, if I was with someone I didn't normally use protection with, I would probably put, uh, I'd probably use protection that day just to, just to make cleanup a little bit easier. But I mean, for me, it was never an issue. And I, I don't see this whole thing about, uh, I just don't see it as unclean. I just see it as a natural process, right? It's just mm -hmm. something, it's a natural process. And and for me, I know this sounds funny or not funny, but might si sound weird. But for me, I just feel like it adds just a little bit more lubrication. I mean, to be honest with you, so. Hey, man, like sometimes it just makes it easier to get things going. <laughs> just, right? Yeah, right. sure, I'm feeling it. And this is just kind of fast tracking things. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so for some folks, I, I and that's cool. It, I find it really funny though. So, like, you go all through these different sexual things, and then right in the middle in, in twenty one, which is right before the uh, the verse on homosexuality, which I'll get to in a minute. But right in the middle of all this, uh, talking about the bad things to do with sex, it says, "Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord." Again ego fuck next right? after that after talking about sacrificing children to moloch next is do not have sexual relationships with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable so i've heard that that's not even the actual i'm sorry to jump in here i heard that that's not even the actual like um translation of it well, and this is the problem with the Bible. It's been translated so many different times. And, yeah. be real, and to be real honest, if you if you listen to Bert, uh, to Bart Ehrman, which he's one of my favorites when it talks about biblical theology, uh, he'll tell you straight up, we don't even have the original texts. We have copies of copies of copies of copies. That's it. And so we really don't know exactly what the original text said. We just don't. Right. We have to go based um, on, you know, somebody who's written it however long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like the, 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 uh, the telephone game, you know, you say something, then you say something, then you say something. And like, by the end, who knows if it's any, even close to what was originally said. Yeah. No, aliens on the roof wearing purple hats, but I mean, we could also get into a UP, UAP conversation at a later point in time, but. Someday because I do like U, UAP stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that someday. I'm sure. Next, <laughs> again, I'm going to Leviticus 18.22, which is don't have sexual relationships with a man as one does with a woman. Um, and then you go, do not have sexual relationships with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relationships with it. That is a perversion. And, you know, wait, wait, wait. I don't I don't like to yuck someone's yum, yum but um, for me... I'm not seeing a whole lot of people doing that um, with certain exceptions, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm just curious here, like reading, hearing you read that, it sounds like that there's uh there's more focus on women here. Absolutely. And they're always, and I'm just like, well, wait a minute. Where's the guy, you know, hello, poor sheep, chickens. Yeah. Are they yeah, protected back in the Western here? Days when, when, when men were men and sheep were scared. Um, <laughs> exactly yeah and i think i might have mentioned last time too fun fact that like new hampshire i think it was only like 2017 or some such that like they actually have a formal law against bestiality on the record and i'm Absolutely. like wow wow yeah so, so 
so what so when we get into all of that stuff i mean i mean i could go down further and further but with the exception of leviticus 18 22 most of this stuff sounds pretty common sense things to me but but i really wonder about uh about the people of that day and age if they felt that they needed a a code of guidelines not to have sex with animals or your family members oh i'm i'm Sure. I mean, something might have been said somewhere about like leaving the livestock alone. Um, can't necessarily say much about the incest beast. I mean, just thinking, you know, the Habsburgs, man. I mean, that jawline. Yeah. Ooh. And yeah. I mean, no, the well, thing they were, they were a ruling no. class for a ruling family for a long time. I just looked it up real quick and it was, uh, yeah, yeah, they ruled from 1282 until 1918. That's a long time for incest to happen. Uh, yeah, and and for me, I just, I, I look at reality. Um, for me, if it's consensual, legal, and it's not going to cause infections, and it's pleasurable, um, you know what? Enjoy your yum, right? Uh, I, I don't typically want to get into people telling people what to do with their bodies. Um, there are things that I think are interesting, but again, I don't yuck someone's yum. Not my thing. Right. And I mean, I think that's a, a valid point. Like if people are consenting, doesn't mean I necessarily have to like it, but I'm sure that there's somebody out there that's looking at that first cousin and that cousin's looking back at him and they're, yep, sure, go time. All right, not my jam. Like I said, not about to yuck somebody's yum. If they're both on the same page and understand all the potential risks Absolutely. that could be involved here. But I think that, you know, certainly rolls into, you know, the consent is a big piece. Absolutely. Consent's a big piece. Um, we've talked before, I think uh, not all laws are just, but it's yeah. what we have right now. And so yeah. at a certain point, you know, if certain things are against the law, you should probably steer away from doing them. Like I'm pretty sure bestiality is against the law most places. And and apparently New Hampshire just got that uh, approved too. It finally uh, got on board with that, like, you, <laughs> you know, know so, several years later. So, you know, whatever. Um, but <laughs> it, it just, it fascinated me whenever I started doing this deep dive into, into scriptural references about sex, man, like that there's a whole lot of there's a lot of rape condoned in the bible there's a lot of sexual slavery condoned in the bible we talk about solomon and his many concubines and how uh and how wise of a uh, and godly of a man he was yet he had sex he did have sexual slaves and so i'm not sure when we're talking about sexuality and things like that how how ethically promising uh, biblical scripture and biblical guidelines are for it. Um, again, that's just my view. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to stick with that being my view. And I think um, people need to understand kind of some of the principles of, of sexual health. So I think, um, I think I know you're going to kind of talk about some of that and then talk about, yeah. uh, and then talk about where we as uh, Satanists kind of line up with that also. Yeah. Well, I know that we had talked about, you know, you and I kind of splitting up these uh, principles here. So, I mean, oh, let's just uh, get into it then, I guess, if you want. We can get into the six sexual health principles. Um, yeah. So this is 
this is information that um, is from the Harvey Institute that uh, also reinforces and you know is used as a basis for like healthy sexual relationships, self-development. Um, the principles are based on working definitions from the World Health Organization, and uh, they go on to state that uh, sexual health encompasses human rights related to sexual health, sexual pleasure, eroticism, gender and sexual relationship diversity, sexual satisfaction, uh, diseases such as HIV and AIDS, STIs, RTIs, violence, female genital mutilation, sexual dysfunction, and mental health uh, related to sexual health. And sexual health is now considered as one of the four pillars of health, physical, mental, spiritual, and sexual. All right, so that is the World, uh, World Health Organization's um, stance on the principles here. Right now, this is considered to be set of ground rules and guidelines. Right, we're not dictating. However, you know, still guidelines to promote uh, healthy conversations. Subsequently, much happier, hopefully more satisfying relationships and a good sense of sexual self-esteem. Right. Again, these are guidelines, not not commandments per se. Right, but I think still ethical and worth following. Um, yeah, and it's. Great, not only for us as adults to take into consideration and talk about with respective partners, but I think it's also a great outline to use to talk to young people about sexuality, especially if you have no idea where to even start, right? Like those awkward birds and the bees conversations that, you know, I think can be the bane of the existence of parents and is often, you know, seen as that running joke in a lot of movies, you know? Absolutely. Where do we start? I think that this could be a great place for conversations to start. Um, and our first principle here is consent. So we go back to consent, consent, consent. It's sexy and required, right? I mean, healthy sex and whatever that word sex means to you and sexual practices, you know, they demand that it's agreed to in order to be healthy, right? What I mean, the heart begins... I'd even further and say, uh, sorry to jump in, but like I would even further and say uh, it's not sex unless it's consent consensual. Well, let me finish here. It's voluntary sorry. cooperation, right? Voluntary cooperation and willing participation because, yeah, otherwise, if it's not consenting, um, well... <laughs> I think this also gets kind of murky and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I mean, there's still like so much that that is involved with consent. I think the murky piece here is that, you know, on the surface we say, yeah, if it wasn't consensual, then it was rape. But then we also have to take into account that what if my no was wrapped up as a yes and I wasn't really consenting but I was going along with something for the sake of thinking I had to for a relationship, right? I mean, right. I don't think that we would necessarily jump in calling that that rape. Um, but, you know, certainly still feels icky and really can have a massive detriment to our respective relationship, right? I mean, obviously, you know, rape is taking away somebody's power, right? And certainly I'd say... And when somebody feels coerced into giving consent, yeah, it's taking away their power and it still feels very 
icky, maybe not as directly violently damaging as say like rape might be, but nonetheless can still feel still feel unsettling afterwards, right? People walking around with this ick, and I think that one can be especially egregious for the fact that you know you might not recognize the ick for what it is, Absolutely. right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I think consent is, you know, really necessary for that safety piece, right? I mean, being able to feel comfortable moving forward in activities, moving forward in a respective relationship. Um, but we also understand that consent can be revoked at any point, right? It's not like a one and done yes, right? Um, if someone's no longer comfortable with with things like what's going on in the moment, or they just they just aren't feeling what they're doing any longer. They have that, they have that right to say, hey, no, you know what, we need to change things up, or I'm not comfortable with this, or you know what, I'm gonna ask that we stop. Um, you know, I mean, this could range from sexual acts that you might be in the middle of, something like you wanted to try, but maybe you realize you weren't a fan of, or maybe you just aren't vibing with what's happening. Um to even having conversations with people about sensitive topics like sexuality. I think that's that's something people fail to, to remember, generally speaking, is that consent isn't just for when we're naked, right? Consent is also for when we're having conversations about things. I mean, I've had that happen in the past where people I've dated just start like trauma dumping or, you know, if we're in an open relationship, they just start going on and on and on about like, you know, the sexual nature of other relationships without talking about it ahead of time. Like, hey, is this something you're comfortable talking about? Right. Like that's that's still consent, you know, for something that uh, it, it can be a really sensitive topic for people. Like if I'm dating somebody in an open relationship, maybe I don't want to hear about the nasty, hot, sweaty cool pig sex that they have because I don't in my brain, I don't have permission from the other person involved. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that's cool. You want to dump that story on me. You know what? I don't feel comfortable for various reasons hearing it. The biggest one being, does this other person know you're even sharing that? Right. 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 Because Absolutely. I want to hear that from them. Like, don't don't tell me. Oh, yeah. Susie said that's fine. Yeah. I want to hear from Susie directly. Right. So that's what I'm talking about with like consent around um, around some of these conversations. You know, I think it's just best practice to ask permission for this stuff, right? And especially, I think, as therapists, trauma-informed, you know, asking permission before, like, moving forward with something, right? Asking permission um, before, like, we start delving down a certain path that might be really sensitive to somebody. Um, that that allows for a more even, uh, I'd say, power exchange around something really sensitive like this. You know, people's sexual health histories, uh, interests and stuff, right? I mean, like you consider going to a doctor or some other medical provider, right? The paperwork that we get um, that I'm sure hardly anybody really sits down and reads, um, but that paperwork identifies, you know, what you're giving them permission to do, like permission to treat. What are they doing? How are they doing it? You know, and ideally we understand the risks that are involved with under undergoing treatment, right? Like I know in my practice, when people sit down and we start talking about, say, maybe trauma work, I point out to them that 
for me, developing skills first before we get into the story is important um, because I want them to understand that there's a risk of you know, potentially re-traumatizing themselves if they jump into this stuff too quickly and they aren't prepared, right? right? As opposed to, oh yeah, just come on in and, you know, just trauma dump and leaving them as like a live wire. That's that's not all right. You know, the people have to understand um you know, what the risks are. And we call that in, informed consent. And I mean, this also has a, a place in sexual activities, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's some great models out there um, for teaching, which, you know, we can we can certainly discuss at a later time. Um, but I just want to highlight some of the models um, that I've been informed of, like the Fry's model from Planned Parenthood. That's one of my favorites. We've got the Plicit or the Explicit model originally developed by Jack Annan. That's also been uh, developed on by the Sexual Health Alliance. Or this one I found recently, which is the CRISP model, um, which was presented um, by the Intimacy Directors and Coordinators page. And I thought this model was pretty cool because it also takes into account sex workers' rights that the Fry's model doesn't necessarily reflect. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm going to have to look into that some more. Um, also, fun fact, talking about consent, we also have to talk about age of consent. And that age of consent for sexual activities may vary across states. Um, for the most part, it's 16 uh, across the board in the U.S. However, um, there are some states uh, that in some cases might argue 14. All right. So that's a, that's a state by state, um, you know, cases, you know, case there. Um and then, you know, there may be limitations based on whether or not, you know, somebody can speak for themselves, right? Are they not only of the age of majority, which also isn't across the board 18. I understand. I think it's in Alabama. Uh, they raised their age of majority to 21. Um, so, you know, if somebody is of the age of majority, how does the respective state treat if somebody has a has a guardian, a legally appointed guardian, right? Family member or a public guardian. Um, right. You know, so it's it's super important to look into those respective state laws around, you know, the age of consent, if that's something that you really need to be aware of, especially, I think, you know, for anybody that's like in one of those kind of funky situations, like, uh, you know, you're, you're 17 and your partner's turning 18 and is that going to be okay how are the families going to respond to that right like is that going to be made into a thing um yeah so nonetheless i think you know doing doing your respective uh research on that piece is is important to keep everybody safe but yeah i mean i'd say consent really underlies you know the the entire concept of sexual health i mean for that idea of like again safety yeah i think we uh i think we too uh, we we then we get into um exploitation and 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 how sex uh, is supposed to be non-exploitative right and mm -hmm. exploitation is when it is using your power over someone to to gain what to gain sex and things like that there's tons of different um examples of exploitation from human trafficking to to what the bible says and and that is That's like thinking yeah and that is your your you own your wife your wife owns your body and things like that that's very exploit exploitative um 
And so the principle is, is that sex should not be, should, I mean, it should be non-exploitative. Um, now, I'm not going to go into a huge, huge thing about that. What I, what I would say is that there are many people, um, there are many ways that uh, you can be, um, that exploitation involved, is involved in sexuality. Uh, when we have non-ethical uh, porn, uh, it can be very exploitative. But there is ethical porn that porn that is not. When we have uh, sex workers, sex workers that are voluntary, that's not usually something that's completely explo exploitative. Whereas trafficking is a completely exploitative uh, act. Um, so, and then marriage. You know, honestly, like partnerships, oftentimes when they're not ethical partnerships, like they definitely can exploit things. And mm -hmm. so when we look at the ways that we do things is, is, is when we're doing, if, if when we're talking about sex, there should be no ex exploitation in this. It should be because that exploitation holding power over someone also takes away consent because when you hold power over someone, it's coercing them to a point where they're not, where they don't feel able to, to deny consent. Right now, I just want to jump in here too, just to piggyback on that, man, is, uh, you know, I think it's important thing too for, for, I know, like for myself to take into account is also like, what is the context and is it, you know, is, what's, what's going on there. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is, um, like some of the people that I've worked with are really big into consensual non-consent, right? So rape play um, in sexual activities. And I think that's really important to identify that that consent piece underlines that kind of play, mm -hmm. right? So for somebody that might hear about that, it might sound like a yuck to somebody's yum. It might feel icky. It might not feel right. But again, there's consent, right? There's been negotiation around what it's going to look like, um, you know, what parameters are going to be in place, right? So, I mean, like, you know, talking about that exploitation piece, you know, just being aware how that can also perhaps shade how some people might look at sexual activities that maybe right. a partner or a new partner is interested in. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess that then rolls into number three, and we're talking about uh, honest, right? I'm, I'd say that this is a pretty big one here, and, you know, to be in healthy relationships, regardless of the type of relationship, you know, excuse me, it's important that we're open about what we, what we want, you know, what are we expecting from that relationship or activity, and, you know, can we directly communicate that with ourselves and whomever we're involved with? That's, that's pretty important. Um yeah, well, I'd have to say, especially the case if we're talking uh, healthy sex practices, you know, it's core to all of those relationships. It informs our boundaries. We have to be on board with our own boundaries. I am, you know, that's that's pretty key. Um, yeah. And I mean, that requires that we all have to figure out what those boundaries are. And it's our responsibility to express those boundaries. Right. Um, I mean, according to the Harvey Institute, they, they say that each person has the responsibility to determine their own standards of honesty about sex and sexuality as it relates to their partners, medical providers, community and themselves. Right. So. 
you know, again, that's reinforcing that we're responsible for our own boundaries and certainly, you know, communicating those boundaries. Um, you know, if we're having a conversation with somebody and a topic comes up that we aren't familiar with or comfortable talking about, you know, it's it's your respective responsibility to acknowledge and express that, right? I mean, as opposed to try to, you know, talk out your backside about it, right? Because, I mean, this is, the honesty is helping people feel safe, Right. I mean, shoot that this is underlying consent, really. Right. Like. How do I how do I keep myself safe? Well, I have to know what those those limits I have for myself. What are the expectations I have for other people that would help me stay safe or feeling safe? Right. I have to communicate that people are not mind readers. Dude, I know I tell people I am not a mind reader because if I was tell you what, I would charge way more money and people would have to be in the chair way less time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just saying. I think too. This would be so fast tracked. <laughs> I think too, recognizing that um, we ha- not only setting up boundaries for ourselves, but also it goes back to that informed consent with with your partner too, right? So like, mm-hmm. if they don't know what's go what what's going on with you. You know, like if if they don't know that you typically don't use protection, things like that, and don't know if 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 you have uh, SDIs or, or which you'll get into late here in a minute, like, like we have to have that honesty in order to protect ourselves. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I, I think too, though, that a lot of that goes down to uh, just, just values, right? Like your shared values mm-hmm. and things like that. So um, shared values, according to the Harvey Institute is, um, let me look here. Oh, that, that's a cute story here, but but I want to hear a like, cute story. <laughs> talking about the uh, dolphin on uh, the do- the day after a dolphin has sex, they don't spend the next day talking with their fellow dolphins about whether it was too soon. Humans do. Uh, children's, teens, adults of all ages think about their values and how they relate to experimenting with sexual activity, uh, whether it is. Um, entering sexual relationships or facing gender and sexual relationship diversity and tons of people have different values and different um and different views and i think that it's very important when you are uh sexual sexually active with someone that you do have a sense of shared values especially when it comes to uh sexual behaviors yes Um, absolutely and 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 also in relationships too you're i I really do believe that a relationship works a lot better if you have shared values right um that doesn't mean you have to agree on every topic but like core values should be at least similar enough that that you're not arguing and fighting about them constantly does that make sense Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, there's that, uh, you know, whole idea of opposites attracting. And I'd have to say, you know, I think that's a that's a big misnomer. I mean, you know, sure, there might be some folks out there that are representative of that. But I mean, thinking about those healthy, longstanding relationships, right? And whatever that dynamic looks like, whether we're talking friendship to spouse to, you know, maybe some sort of DSMS relationship, right? Like, you know, I, I'd have to say, like, it's important that there are some core fundamental, like, similarities there. So, yeah, that people are on that same page, you know, that y- you can be honest and, 
you know, that, uh, you know, that's going to be enjoyable if everybody's like kind of in agreement on the big, big stuff. But yeah, we don't have to be clones of our partners, right? I mean, I don't have to assimilate all of my values to to that of you know, my partner. But again, you know, I'd say yeah, those big ones about uh, how we see relationships and sex and sexual activities, you know, how even, we take care of our it, health. That's all even important Even when it stuff. breaks down to um, like, if all you were going stuff. to have, um, have sex with someone, right? You should you should share the same values as far as reproductive health, in my opinion, right? So like for me, if I'm going to have sex, if I was going to have sex with someone, I need to share, I need to share that value because what if that person and I disagree on abortion, right? And, and, and that can create a big, huge mess. So, so in my, in my belief, it is best to align yourself with somebody that shares your values before you uh, initiate that kind of uh, that kind of process. Well, I think additionally, you know, you might see this in, in other other realms that uh, maybe we're not talking about abortion necessarily, but I mean, hey, maybe it's something that might be considered a little bit uh, more innocuous, like how many dates before somebody chooses to to get sexual with with a partner, right? Like, there are some people that are like, Hey, if I'm feeling the attraction on date one, then we're going to go forward with that. There's no shame in that game for other people. They might say, Hey, you know, I really want to wait um, a, a few weeks or maybe even some months, you know, to make sure that we vibe before I go that route. Right. And I think that that's also really important to be on the same page. Right. And there's no, no shame in either one, right? It's absolutely it's, not. It's no, no shame in either personal, game there. It, it's about a personal value. And, and I do think that, you know, you have to share, you have to share at least some of the same values in, in any kind of thing that you do, even when you're looking at hookups, right? Sometimes you really, I, I think one of the things that, that I question about like hookups from the bar, right? Is that, are you really discussing any of these values, right? Are you really just <laughs> talking about any of this stuff? And so, so oftentimes I get, uh, I get nervous about that type of stuff. Again, I don't shame anybody for doing it, but at the same time, I get nervous about it because you don't know that other person's values. Right. And I'm thinking then consent starts getting super murky, man. Cause I mean, this is coming from the bar, you know, are people actually like, clear-headed coordinating right. the hookups or are they like you know vodka brave talking this hookup through right because that's not exactly gonna lead them to have some uh informed conversations for sure well and it, it and it could lead to uh not practicing this the safest methods which kind of leads us into our next principle you got it man principle five which is protection from sti hiv and unwanted pregnancy so really reinforcing how important our health is right not yeah i'm sorry respecting like not only our own health but uh also those of the people we're intimate with like this is this is really necessary for those respectful relationships. Like honest communication and consent are key principles in relation to this principle. Um, I mean, in our relationships, bodily autonomy allows us to determine what happens to our physical being. We get to make the rules, and this certainly extends to how we keep keep it healthy. Like, how do I maintain this meat wrap skeleton I'm walking around in? 
right? Uh, it promotes the need to have some health plans in place, right? Like contraceptions, uh, whether we're talking about use of um, like oral contraceptions, um, implants, um, and things of that nature for, for people with uteruses, um, contraception that might look like condoms. Um, maybe we're also talking some dental dams, even like finger cots. I know that, you know, that's not necessarily stuff we got to worry about getting people pregnant with, but still thinking uh, from a prophylactic standpoint, right? So SCI protections and that preventative maintenance uh, and just maintaining our, our physical selves, right? I mean, for people who may have sex with more than one person, uh, that's where routine STI testing is is necessary, right? Yeah. Your primary care provider could do them. Um, for some folks, that's an option. That's not always a, an option for others. Um, but there are various health agencies across the country that can offer low cost uh, or even free services to promote sexual health. Um, Planned Parenthood is definitely a big one for that. Um, they're great. Um, like I, I go to the one in Sanford, Maine, that is lovely. The people there are just bees knees, lots of resources. Um, these places have access to prophylactics. You can go in, just ask for condoms. Uh, I mean, shoot, in some locations, you don't even have to ask. You can just go on in and they got them right there. And yeah, you know, they do a lot to promote sexual health, you know? So you know, I want to bring up the fact, too, that there are a number of medical providers out in the world, not just in the U.S., who are not up to date on the most medically accurate information, which can um, certainly have a negative impact on how people maintain their sexual health. Um, it's kind of some some interesting, uh, somewhat uh, disturbing facts that I found. Um, there's this one organization, S-I-E-C-U-S. Um, it's, it's Sex Ed for Social Change. Um, that they give stats on how sex ed is provided in you know in the U.S. Um, well, they and like Planned Parenthood identify that. Only 18 states out of our 50 here in the U.S. require sex ed to actually be medically accurate. 18 out of 50 states, man. Like, let's take a let's take a hot second and consider that, right? And then from there, like, I also just recently saw that only eight states, eight states, require culturally affirming and responsive sex education and STI and HIV health instruction. Like, wow, like. That's pretty concerning when we're looking at a big picture here, right? I mean, yeah. I consider that like in grad school, we didn't have any like human sexuality specific classes. Um, like I had one in undergrad that was an elective. And I have to say, I was pretty lucky to have access to that. And I remember it was very, um, very informed, very explicit, and it was a great class. But that's not the case for all providers, you know, especially mental health providers. Uh, you know, Tim, I know I mentioned to you before, like looking at some of the licensing requirements here in New Hampshire and, um, you know, there really isn't anything about human sexuality being a requirement. I mean, sure, for the people who are licensed marriage family therapists, it's one of uh, maybe five yeah, one of five potential electives. Somebody has to take at least three courses in human development. Um, and that could be human development, personality theory, human sexuality, psychopathology, behavior pathology. 
Um, yeah, so a provider only needs to have like three courses out of those those five. So that doesn't guarantee sex is human sexuality is involved in that. So I think this just reinforces why we do this work. It's the same here in Maine. Um, and Oklahoma, it's also the same in Oklahoma. Now, I will say whenever I was licensed in Nova Scotia, um, you had that it, it you had to take more. I mean, you had to have um, courses on gender I- identity and things like that in Nova Scotia. You had to have those courses uh, in order to uh, be licensed there. So a lot of the courses that I've taken, um, a lot of the courses on gender identity I took, I took post or post uh, grad school so that I could meet those types of requirements when needed. Same, same. So I'm I'm also licensed in the state of Maine. I will say like uh, a, a noticeable difference um, was the requirement to do um, so many continuing ed credits or having so many credits um, on domestic violence, right? And I had to do, well, not that I had to, but I mean, I did a two-day seminar on domestic violence through, I want to say it was UMaine Farmington, um, they had a great, uh, great presentation online. And I'm in the process of doing that now myself. Uh, oh, I've so only been good. licensed in Maine for a year. And so whenever, in order for me to renew my license, I have to Ooh. have those courses. So I'm in the yep. process of doing those courses too. Luckily there are, there, there was a, um, a online option that I was able to find that still meets requirements. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm doing those. Honestly, I did a lot of training in Oklahoma for domestic violence anyways, just because I work community mental health. So it was something that I came across every day. Yeah. But I mean, you think about you, you had that experience, right? So that you were then able to say, Hey, you're going into this more informed. I mean, but you know, again, I think like as a clinician uh, in New Hampshire, I, I didn't have to take those, those courses. I didn't have to show necessarily like the, uh, educational credits. I mean, I, it met, uh, you know, KCREP accreditation. Um, but for the state, I wasn't required to have those, um, yeah. to have those credits. I mean, I understand similarly, um, differences in Florida are there about, um, um, human trafficking and exploitation. Um, that was a while ago I had heard that. I don't know if that still stands uh, to be the case. I mean, well, I'm that, just going to leave it at that and not get into a whole Florida soapbox I'm, thing. But I'm pretty sure you're right on that. I will say last I checked uh, in Florida, in order to offer sex therapy, you actually have to be licensed for sex therapy. Mm, interesting. Because, like, you know, then otherwise, like, they I actually, thought it was kind of wild to to see, man, that across the country that there is like no actual like um, credentialing, dem- I don't want to say demand, requirement, that's requirement. the word. Yeah, that there's no re- credentialing requirement, like with what we're doing, like through um, Sexual Health Alliance and for the people going on to be um, certified sex therapists through like ASECT um, certification stuff. I mean, this is like promoting an, a standard. However, there are therapists and counselors that are working with people in this capacity without necessarily, um, you know, having a complete education on doing so, you know, like they aren't credentialed necessarily. They don't 
reflect having that education? In my in my view, a, a bare minimum for for working with this stuff should definitely be a bare minimum of certification program, right? You think? Um, I won't say that everybody has to go get ASEC certified. I will say that you definitely no, no. need to have the tra- you need to have the training, right? Like definitely need and, to have the training. And I'd like to say need to have a training that might be more than like a one or two day seminar, maybe yeah. offered through like. PESI, Psychotherapy Network, CEs for Less, right? Like I've I've been working on my Shaw anybody working in our field knows what I'm talking about here, right? I've I've been working on my Shaw training for almost two years now because like they keep adding stuff and I've got to get and I want to read all of it. So I just keep Mm -hmm. going back, right? So you know. Right. And we're still in the process, right? I mean Not that long ago, I finished up the kink informed certificate, which fun fact, I just received my certificate not too long ago. Very proud of me. Woo. Um, I'm going to need you to post that so that I can see it. Okay. Um, <laughs> will do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm but, just I mean, proud of you. Ah, thanks, buddy. Um, but I mean, one of the things that the instructor said was like, hey, people are welcome to come back and, and to participate in this again because they get so much more. Um, you know, the second time around, you know, it's kind of like you watch that really cool in-depth movie more than once. And each time you watch it, you see something that just clicks a little bit more or that detail that maybe you missed last time. Right. So, and I mean, that was a program that was like uh, several months long and, you know, still pretty involved, but they acknowledge like, Hey, this is, this isn't the, um, this isn't the all and everything here, you know, this is kind of like a, an overview, a well-educated overview, and people are invited to come back and learn more and expand on that. So as far as psychology, I'm a psych nerd, right? Like I love reading about psychology and reading different uh, modalities and talking about different modalities and, and what I've, and um, we had talked uh, at one point about uh, your, about when you were talking about uh, the comment that you made about being a, a, about your inner pervert. And Mm. one of our, one of our co-students in our program made the comment of sex nerd. And I really, really like that comment versus saying pervert is that I am a sex nerd, right? I love interesting details about sexuality. Yeah. And those trainings that we do give me that, right? It it allows, and going back and forth allows me to just keep nerding out, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd have to say, you know, it's kind of expanding on, you know, what you know and, you know, being able to practice more ethically and talking about some guiding principles and guidelines. I know we've also got these seven tenets over here from the Satanic Temple, which is uh, where you and I are affiliated with. But I want to, you know, certainly reinforce we're not speaking on behalf of any organizations here. Like you and I are not spokespeople for the Satanic Temple. We are members and these are these principles that we try to act on. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think all of this stuff is is very pleasurable, right? Like being a secondary yeah. is super pre- pleasurable. And I get a lot of pleasure from the seven tenets and, and you'll be discussing those here in a bit too. But all of that bounds into, you know, pr- pleasurable ideologies for me. So 
since we're going to since I'm talking about pleasure, I'm going to go into pleasure. Pleasure is a primary motivation for solo sexual activity like masturbation um, and sex with partners. It is okay for it to be about pleasure. So so many people look at um, so many people look at sex as it's just for procreation. And I won't get into who all thinks that, but there are a lot of people that do have that assumption. And so when somebody is doing it solely for pleasure, there's a lot of shame that comes with that. With the sexual health pleasure, I mean, with the sexual health uh, principles, pleasure is one of the is one of the things that is necess necessary for uh, sexual health. And so for me, having sex for pleasure is perfectly fine and and honestly is kind of the goal in my opinion yeah i think when uh you know people you know focus on orgasm as the goal for sex it then really takes away from pleasure right like i think about some folks that uh, i've had conversations with um that have identified like um like performance anxiety Right. And then not able to perform. Um, I've I've come across this more with um, men or you know people with penises that I've worked with, um, that there's this pressure that they're putting on themselves to have to, you know, achieve orgasm or that they have to um, get their partner to orgasm. And then it just really takes away from that pleasurable experience, right? Because it's, Absolutely. I got to tick the box. All right. Well, you know, tell you what, man, pleasure first, the other stuff, if it happens solid, if it doesn't, that's all right too. Did everybody have a great time? And do you feel more connected with yourself and the other person after, right? As opposed to, you know, did my eyes roll in the back of my head and my brain explode? recognize too that like something that I, I that something that that people need to recognize is that pleasure definitely can be had without orgasm and and let's you be got real, it, man. Like, let's be real sometimes your hormones can can be a big factor in not being able to orgasm and it has nothing to do with your partner not being able to get you to orgasm <laughs> but rather the hormones you don't you can't orgasm or it takes you longer to orgasm and let's talk about that right there there's a huge orgasm gap for men and women there's just a huge gap and so recognizing that if you focus on offering your 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 partner pleasure then and and stop making it a a uh, orgasm focused uh, experience. Then there's going to be less pressure on you. And you know what happens when you mm -hmm. get less pressure? That means you get out of that sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system. Guess what happens after that? You might actually be able to orgasm because you're you not think? so stressed out about it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think too, you know, going back to that piece that like, Hey, orgasm isn't, uh, isn't necessarily the primary goal there. I think this also speaks to 
where are we deriving pleasure from, right? And kind of going to that question of how do we define sex, right? Is it necessarily penetrative sex into an orifice? Or are we talking about, you know, is this a phenomenal foot rub? Or, I mean, for some people, it could be phone sex, right? Nobody's touching. Nobody, you probably don't even see the other person, right? And it's all basically storytelling, right? However, it's considered sex, right? And I think you know, pleasure too, like, hey, what do we define as pleasurable in that context? You know, for somebody that pleasure is that foot rub or oh, man, addressing certain parts rub. of our, our body, that, right? Like I have found as I've gotten older that my back is really sensitive. So I'm like, Yo, guys, like solid back rub here and everybody's happy. Trust, yeah. right? Like, but we're talking about a back rub here. And I think for some folks, when again they hear sex, they're thinking, you know, genital on genital or, you know, in some orifice or other. And that's that's not always the case. I think, you know, what I'm hearing here today for myself, at least, is, yeah, that importance of being aware of the language we use and how we're using it. And definitely, you know, clarifying our, our definitions, especially when we're uh, trying to negotiate with partners. Well, and I think, I think if we would, fo I think if we focus on connection yes. uh, and, and, and pleasure, I think that's what, to me, that's what sex is, is that connection and that, and that pleasure together. And however you can derive that connection and pleasure together, I think that is quite sexual and it doesn't again it doesn't have to be piv right it just yeah, needs no. to be uh it just needs to have that connection and that and just that pleasure right and and again i know plenty of people who are who are who are ace or asexual that they still want pleasure right and so yes. so sex may not be look the same for them as it does for uh, other people right exactly Exactly. But, so, you know, I think I, I feel like each of these principles, man, like could be an entire show or like series themselves, because you and I know, like, there is so much more to each of these principles that we could probably sit here for like hours and keep talking about. But yeah, we'll we'll nerd out for like every, all the time. And and our, yeah, you our, and I will keep talking and bantering on about this. And I mean, hopefully nobody's like falling asleep yet. Like, hang with episodes. us. I think I, I have a lot of hope for our upcoming episodes. I think they're going to be a lot of fun because we're going to kind of have a little bit more conversational stuff in here. And I think that's yeah, going to be a lot all, of fun. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. This, I mean, this is all definitely like that groundwork stuff to provide, you know, framework for folks to understand what, like what we're talking about, where we're coming from. Um, but I mean, I guess with that, with that being said, I mean, you want me to jump into uh, our Absolutely. seven tenants here, buddy? Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about... Let's talk about our uh, our our satanic uh, tenants. What? Yes. Hell. Um, all right. So we're members of the satanic temple, which um, practices uh, compassionate Satanism, 
or romantic Satanism. Um, anybody interested? There's a great book written by Lilith Starr that's called Compassionate Satanism, an introduction to modern satanic practice. This is a really good read, whether, you know, somebody's wanting to just learn more about what we're talking about today, or maybe somebody who is, uh, you know, interested in getting connected to TST. Um, yeah, really worthwhile book to read um, because it expounds upon these fundamental tenets, right? So number one, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Um, this is this is a really great one, you know, being considerate towards all those people and animals around us and ourselves. Right. So this is this is one that I mean, I've heard uh, and admittedly myself when first learning these tenants, you know, would look at this as more like that outward projection. Right. Um, acting with compassion and empathy toward all creatures. Right. Well, I'm one of those creatures. Absolutely. Right. So we, we are all animals. Right. We are just animals with opposing thumbs that have figured out to you know basically operate can openers all that good stuff or at least that's how my dogs see us right that's how my dogs see us especially the cats um yeah now what i also like here is that piece in accordance with reason um because i mean this this piece here isn't saying that we are going to you know em embrace uh like all all evils and things like that but we are going to look at situations through a compassionate and empathetic lens right right so i'm not going to or i'm going to do my best rather to not jump to conclusions and make judgments that also might not be fair towards also somebody at or something the same time also at the same time i mean i don't have to have compassion on someone who's hurt who's trying to hurt me Oh, correct. And that's certainly in accordance with reason. Like I said, we don't have right. to, you know, embrace like, you know, the, the ugly shit. And yeah, if somebody's trying to uh, do harm, I, yeah, I, I, I am in no way obligated to keep that person around. Um, I think that's, a, that's a really interesting one to get into further when I've heard people talk about that idea of like, oh, blood's thicker than water and using that as a defense for trying to maintain uh, unhealthy, pretty toxic family dynamics. Right. Absolutely. But that's, that's a whole nother uh, a whole nother chat outside of this you, oh yeah whole full on episode um all right so moving on number two the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions well man earlier you were saying like hey just because something's a law doesn't mean it's just right and you know i think about some of the laws that are massive infringements upon people's human rights um i do believe that there are still states um that have sodomy laws in this country. And I mean, those sodomy laws are basically uh, indicating that, you know, any sex not intended for procreation would be deemed as sodomy, you know, and I'm sorry. So no oral sex for anybody. What? Well, no, te definitely moving out of that state. Hell, nope. Texas still has a law that you can't own more than six uh, sex toys. Bullshit. 
No, I'm fucking serious. No. Well, what happens if you buy number seven? Is like the Gestapo showing up and like revoking know, dildos? I mean, What's but, happening? But I feel like that's not a just law, man. Like, like that's my yeah, personal no, I'm, business. I'm like, hearing you say that one, I was like, what? Yeah. 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 I heard about this from, uh, I heard about this from, uh, uh, from the uh, Satanist Next Door uh, ah. podcast. Whenever I was talking to them, they were telling me about that. And I was like, holy shit, are you serious? And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh my God, they do. That's crazy. Right. So that's a great example of, yeah, just because something's a law doesn't mean that that's just. I mean, what about an infringement? You know, talk about an infringement on your like personal liberties, right? Um, yeah. And I mean, we could probably also sit here and go on about other laws that we think are, yeah, certainly All infringements day. upon human rights. You got it. Uh, number three, this is one of my personal favorites. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. As I mentioned earlier, I had sterilization done. Man, that was like the most liberating event that I I can say I had had happen in my life. Um, You know, and I've shared this with loved ones too. That was like, wow, this was such a cool thing to be able to make that choice about my body. Um, It was a little frustrating when I look at the fact that this is something that I had wanted to do for a long time. I have known that I didn't want kids like my late teens and my twenties, um, that it wasn't until in my forties that I was actually able to do something about it. Right. Because a lot of pushback I received, um, was, uh, oh, what if I change my mind or what if my husband wants kids right now? There's, there were a lot of assumptions being made certainly with these statements here. Um, but yeah, like I had to say, you know, I, I still look at those scars on my belly and I'm like, yeah, I did that for me. Totally worth it. Right. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it's on the list uh, for desired tattoos to eventually have maybe like little, little, I don't know, ode to my scars, put in my body somewhere. I just, um, yeah, it's it's on the list. I've got other ones I want to get done first. Um, well, and it's right. good. Like, like, that's the thing is, 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 and, and here's the thing too. We're not telling everybody that they should get uh, sterilized. We're saying that it's your body. So oh. it should be your choice. Well, that was my point. Like this was, you know. this is something I did for me. Right. Like, yeah. like and there like are still, there are still people in the family that like the fact that I don't want kids, like truly baffles them a lot of this more on the extended uh like in-laws love them all and uh yeah me taking taking steps to not have children um was a really alien concept and there were a number of women that were i think in their good faith efforts to inquire further really came across as like shaming Mm. um but you know really reinforcing like hey bodily autonomy like i think that's hot thanks you want to talk about what gives me pleasure bodily autonomy absolutely (laughs) for days um all right as i on to the next one uh number four uh the freedoms of others should be respected including the freedom to offend to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forgo one's own 
This is a really interesting one that, again, I think could be another episode all into itself. Um, this is a really interesting one. I know we've talked about that you mentioned being on a, I think it was Satanist Next Door, was it? Yeah. Talking about cognitive dissonance yeah. that comes up here, right? Like, um, I want to be able to say what I say and, you know, damn to be all if you get offended, but you say what you say and I am offended and now I'm going to push back on that. Right. Right. So, yeah, things to certainly take into consideration when we're trying to set uh, standards for ourselves and others. All right. Five. We've got beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. That's my favorite. Science. Right. Right. That Seriously. That's my favorite. Like, yes. Science. Science is real. Like... Now like, I got that like I can prove science. science I, can't prove, I can't prove faith, right? I can prove science, not faith. <laughs> right? Versus science. Here's a bunch of papers and the research behind <laughs> right. it and the numbers. But I'd have to say, you know, with that being said, um, you know, I think we also have to look at these things presented to us with a super critical eye, right? I mean, we know that research can also be heavily skewed. Um to try to conform to whatever slant, whatever bias, you know, somebody's trying to, to present. Um, what I love about science, though, is that if it can be disproven, the scientific community wants it to be disproven. That's that. That's yes. The right. Like, like, I, I think that's why I trust science over a lot of things, because if it if you can disprove it, mm -hmm. they want you to. I mean, that's well, it's open to it. it's open to being challenged. Yeah. Right. That's that's the piece that it's open to being yeah. challenged. Right. As opposed to, hey, faith, how open are some people to having their faith challenged? Hell, I was. Right? And I was challenging it myself. Right. And do you get that internal railing against the yeah. questions? Right. Like that almost internal tantruming. No, I don't want to. I'm going to take my ball and go home. All right. Well, Again, I think that that's all of these. Another issue oh, we could totally have. Yes, absolutely. You you got it. You got it. Um, all right. Six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. We are all bound to fuck up. We are humans. Absolutely. We are messy animals. And that is how we learn. We so got to fail. When we, when, when we can. Correct. Um, Owning it. That's accountability yeah. is huge though, right? Yeah. It's one thing if um, you know, somebody's saying, like, oh, I made a mistake, but oh well, you know, go along and they're day blithely ignorant to the harm that they've caused. You know, that's that's not really growing from it versus acknowledging, oh, I did this harm. Hey, best apology is a behavior change. Yeah. What can I do differently? to help maintain that relationship or help maintain my own sense of, um, you know, dignity, self-respect, well, right? If not for somebody person, else, then for myself. Uh, even when the, the, the person uh, that, that you hurt won't accept it, you should still make amends by changing behavior. Like I said, best apologies of behavior change. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And then we got number seven, every tenant, is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. 
the spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Absolutely. Yes. So strive to be strive to be better than who we were yesterday. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's keep progressing and, you know, certainly, yeah, appreciate that they identify that, hey, that this spirit, you know, prevails over what's what's written or spoken. And I think that piece, that written or spoken word, you know, kind of reflects back up to um, you know, number two, you know, just because something is a law or written down doesn't make it just. Right. But this goes to the thing. It also talks about, you know, we can talk a good game and we can write a good game, but that spirit is our action. Right. So, yes, again, we can um, the best way to fix something is through action, not through just talk. You got it. You got it. So, you know, I appreciate that these are again, it's like a guiding principle. Right. Yeah. Just like those those six uh, sexual health principles. Right. Like here's strong recommendations. Right. Nobody's being dictated to or commanded to. Right. Because then it seems like with those commandments, you know, the, the underlying shame there. Right. There's this implication of or else, you know, whereas with like the tenants and sexual health principles, it's here's 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 a set of guidelines to live a better life here's right? a way and to be a better human here's a way to be a better version of yourself right yeah. choose to do with that what you will right that's the choose to do with that what you will right and understanding that these guidelines help towards definitely like healthier interactions with ourselves in the world Right now, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and say like, oh, people have to get on board with, you know, compassionate Satanism and TSD. No, 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 no. I'm certainly a believer in autonomy and that people have choice. Right. But just that idea of commandment versus a principle and talk about language and word use, like what those connotations hold. I was talking to one of my uh, one of my progressive Christian friends. Right. And had her read the seven tenets, right? And she was like, I can get down with these seven tenets. I like these seven tenets. These are great. I'm not going to be a Satanist, but I like the tenets and I totally try to live my life like that. Okay. Well, guess what? You're probably a Satanist. <laughs> I mean, like, like, oh my I, word. You know, it's, well, it's funny hearing you describe that. My brain just started like, all right, white zombie, more human than human. And it's going like more right. Christian than Christians. So, <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that's going to be an earworm. I, mean, I so hope I, I pass I that that's on. That's kind of the thing is, too, <laughs> is just recognizing that, you know, we're all human. We can all use a guide. Yes. But we also have to make our own decisions and we learn. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like we learn by making those mistakes. Because without it, you know, I, I I have a hard time thinking that I'm going to grow unless I learn from a mistake that I've done. Well, or that someone yeah. else has done, right? Absolutely. And I mean, again, I think that's part of part of the learning curve. And you know, if we can at least accept that growth comes from failure, you know, that we can embrace that idea of failure that much more, right? Like I'll not to go too far down this this potential rabbit hole here man but like i'll i'll admit like 
I was, I was uh, somebody and still struggle with like perfectionist tendencies. And I, I look at where I came from, how I was raised and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? That makes sense that I would, I would have those perspectives, right? Um, but it's also important for me to recognize that not everybody's going to have those perspectives and that my own perspectives have blind spots that are no doubt going to result in me getting tripped up, right? But that's taken a while, I think, to acknowledge and accept. Um, I remember having a really cool conversation with a friend of mine, um, a good friend of mine who uh, is in an instructor for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's black belt. He's a phenomenal human being. And uh, we were having a conversation about his respective journey into BJJ and what it was like for him in Brazil as a white belt competing. And then as he progressed through the belt ranks, just realizing how much to embrace like when failure happened and him sharing that as a black belt he recognized how much more he learned from you know not winning competitions right like oh here's this this blind spot that i had or here's this move i have to train more right or here's uh this this part of my body might need a little more strengthening right that these were blind spots that he wouldn't have known until you know the failure occurred and he was able to use that as a learning point um, and I think we can do this with sex too, right? You got so, it, man. So I think if we can, uh, is it, it, when we make a, uh, a um, I don't even like to say mistake, when we are not um, focused on pleasure and we focus on these other things, if we can, if we can at least learn, then I think we're going to be okay, right? If Willingness we can learn that, you know what, that orgasm's not the main thing, but am I making my, my partner feel good? Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. and if we can get to that place, then I think we're doing something, we're, we're doing something magical. And that's kind of what the purpose of this, this show is, is to, that's what to help you to get to that place. So you got it. I think we're going to wrap up and, oh, um, yeah. and guys, Ooh, this is a lengthy one. Just remember, right. We're all about talking about love sex and satan, satan.